about other black athletes, um, Mohammed? Like, um, say, take Patterson as an example. Or what Patterson? The others, <clears throat> Floyd Patterson. Oh, he's completely opposite from me. Yes. He ain't no way like me. Well, but what? Yes, precisely. That's why I'm asking you about him. Oh. What do you think about the, the the other black athletes like them, who, in their time, have had influence or would have been in a position to have influenced people, their their own people, and this sort of thing, about their attitude, which is certainly. Uh, slightly less moderate than yours, or slightly more moderate rather than yours. Well, they um, they go down in history just been athletes. They don't. I'm I'm uh, given more praise and credit for what I'm just doing now on this show than coming here and beating five year old English champions. Oh, at the same time. Because right now, <laughs> black people, when you show this show, are home jumping, home shouting, because they don't have the nerve to say what I'm saying, and nobody has never said it, and they're just so happy to see a black man who will stand up and jeopardize every court he's got to tell the truth. So like. Floyd Patterson and other fighters, they just don't take part. They make a million dollars, they get them a Rolls Royce, they get them a nice home, they get them a white wife. Well, I made it, America's great, and the rest of them catching hell, and he won't say nothing. But when one man of popularity can let the world know the problem, he can uh, he might lose a few dollars himself telling the truth, might lose his life. But he's helping millions. But if I kept my mouth shut just because I can make millions, and then this ain't doing nothing. So I just love the freedom and the flesh and blood of my people more so than I do the money. You can take it sure and play it right in Washington. Let Nixon hear it. <laughs> and I'll be happy. <laughs> See, so I'm not ducking and running from nothing. And this boldness and telling the truth makes me just overshadow sports greatly. You couldn't get Joe Frazier no box on his show and get an interesting subject like this. That's nothing true. to talk about. How do you feel, champ? I don't run for There are many white people who mean right and in heart want to do right, but there are so few. If 10,000 rattlesnakes was coming down that aisle now, and I had a door here I could shut, and in that 10,000, 1,000 meant right. 1,000 rattlesnakes didn't want to bite me. I knew they were good. Should I let all these rattlesnakes come down, hoping that that thousand get together and farm a shield? Or should I just close the door and stay safe? I think that, that you understand the Viet Cong are not all bad, but America's still dropping bombs. In Hiroshima, Japan wasn't bad, but she still dropped the bomb. In Korea, they weren't bad, but they still dropped the bomb. So now I'm going to forget the 400 years of lynching and killing and raping and depriving my people of freedom, just and quality, the first five, last high, the lowest of low, last respected. And I'm going to look at two or three white people who are trying to do right and don't see the other million trying to kill me. <laughs> I'm not that big of a fool, and I'm not going to deny it. I believe everything. You mentioned uh, President Nixon there. I was reading a piece that Norman Mailer wrote about you where, recently where he described you as the second most prominent American, second most prominent after Nixon. You might dispute that. But would you like to, to be president? No. No? No, sir. Too dangerous. <laughs> like, in other words, here's a ship. People are dancing on the ship. A lot of money's on the ship. A lot of food's on the ship. And I cannot integrate on the ship. I cannot have equality on the ship. I'm just in the galley working. And I never could get up and see the captain of the ship. Now, all of a sudden, the man tells me, uh, say, come on down. I'll leave out of the galley. I want you to come up here and here, have something to drink. What do you want? And giving me number one spot. From the galley to the number one spot. I said, this ship must be sinking. Why is he... <laughs> Why is he so nice to me now? What moved him to call me up here? Black men have been males now. One might be the president. America's in too much trouble. I don't want that job now. <laughs> Something to think about, ain't it? Uh, 
not going to help nobody get something my Negroes don't have. If I'm going to die, I'll die now, right here fighting you. You my enemy. My enemy is the white people, not Viet Cong or Chinese or Japanese. You my opposer when I want freedom. You my opposer when I want justice. You my opposer when I want equality. You won't even stand up for me in America for my religious beliefs, and you want me to go somewhere and fight, but you won't even stand up for me here at home. Warms the heart. Welcome to the Soul Brother Number One of a Kind podcast, starring the Candy M. Eaton, big, medium, and small booty technique, the well dressed, immaculate social political activist, the black truth to the white lie, the good is not nice guy, Johnny Silvercloud. Today, we will be talking about Muhammad Ali. We will be remembering Muhammad Ali. Today, we have uh, another co host, guest. Will you introduce yourself? Um, it's Ray, M. Ray. <laughs> I don't have anything fancy to say. You can call me what you want. I answer to what I need to. All That's right. pretty much that. Yeah, got a uh, got Ray up in up in the house once again, and um, we're going to talk about Muhammad Ali. Uh, Muhammad Ali, he died at the age of seventy four. In the month, in early in the month of June, you know, 2006, and um, you know, he died after having a lengthy battle with uh, Parkinson's d- disease, and he was di- he was diagnosed with his disease in 1984, three years after retiring from boxing. You know, and his career began pretty much when he was like a skinny 12 year old kid from Louisville, Kentucky. You know, um, Muhammad Ali is survived by his nine children. Which also includes Layla Ali, who, like her her father, became a world champion, champion boxer, and his fourth wife, Lonnie. You know, um, yeah. What's your thoughts on Muhammad Ali, uh, Ray? Um, I think he was fantastic. He was, I believe, he won the uh, gold medal in 1960 at the Olympics. Um, he had 56 victories, 37 by KO, and he was the world champ three times, although most of us seen him as the champ always and forever. Um, and that was just his boxing and everything outside of that. He was just revolutionary in his own state. and He was pretty much everything. Yeah. I'm going to... It's um, the truth. Yes. I'm going to uh, frame this for folks, for, for people to understand. You know, for, perhaps there are a couple of um, people who are not black who don't understand the significance of Muhammad Ali and how he existed in this time period. Um, black Americans were allowed um, to attain national and international fame, have been historically puppets and lackeys of white supremacy. This includes not just politicians, you know but also entertainers and athletes. Through an elaborate systems of sanctions, rewards, penalties, and persecutions, any Afro-American who thought, who, who sought for black empowerment and refused to be a tool for, white, for the white power structure was either cast into prison, killed, hunted, chased out of our nation, or thrown into obscurity by character assassination and isolated in his own land amongst his own people. This is often done by Scooby Snack eating, Scooby Snack chasing black people who don the moniker today as black conservative. 
And they are the good, you know, usually these black conservatives are the guard dogs of uh, white supremacist power structure. Muhammad Ali was the first Afro-American champion who was a king inside and outside the ring. Ali was young, black, gifted, and always told the truth, the honest truth, despite white supremacy's frustrations. And um, on top of this, let me add you, like talk a little bit more about boxing in general in regards to the American psyche. The boxing ring is the ultimate focus of masculinity in America and always have been. Um, you have uh, many sports, you have teams, you have quarterbacks, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, cornerbacks, wide receivers, you have point guards, centers, and basketball. No one cares about soccer in America, it's unfortunate. Um, but yeah, most, most sports you have teams. But in boxing, it's a little bit different. We, we consider it a sport, but it's not really a sport. You play football, but you don't play boxing. And on top of that, you have uh, boxing was a one-on-one game, meaning that it's one person against an, another person. Mano e mano, as uh, the phrase, phrase is called. Um, Black people engage in a lot of people have different theories in regards to how why black people engage in athleticism in America. My theory revolves around credibility, meaning that black people figured that to be successful, it's really easy to um, be successful in uh, athletics because if you knock someone out or you ran, you know, the 40 yard dash in a certain time. There's no way in the world that white supremacy can just sit there and say, well, the white guy did it better if they really didn't, you know, whereas if you're a lawyer and you wrote like a dissertation on some type of law or whatever else, something that's far more subjective, you know, the person can give it to the white person no matter what, because fuck you, we don't care if you're a good lawyer as a black guy. As a matter of fact, Malcolm X uh, wanted to be a lawyer when he was a little kid and his teacher's white teacher told him that he couldn't be pretty much because he's black, you know. How about, yeah. like, what, like, what type of reality would we live today if that teacher had done the right thing? Anyway, um... I'd have done us a favor. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a Malcolm blessing Mac, in disguise. Ali, yeah, yeah, Malcolm Mac is the yeah. one that helped Ali get to know why. Exactly. And we're going to um, talk a little bit about that, too. But, yeah, though, um... Shit. So, some of the first things that, um... That we began as black folks uh, diving into, sliding into the greater, uh, not greater as in better, but greater as larger, the larger um, white, no, American identity is boxing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's because of our athleticism and the fact that if I knock you out, you cannot say that the white guy won. You can't. How? He's on the floor. You have to drag us out. It's not the fucking ring. We yep. began doing that shit. We got fucking bamas up. And like, we began flowing dump, like, you know, getting domes thrown off their fucking heads mm-hmm. to the point where the residual image of the American boxer is a black guy. You know, um, shoot, you have these guys or these Japanese folks who, um, who made this fighting game called Street Fighter. And the boxer is the black guy. And most other, you know, these are a bunch of Japanese folks from across the world. So they already knew. Of course, Balrog is based off of Mike Tyson, but still, they're not going to deviate from that black guy thing, you know. Um, yeah. We kind of took, you know, sports over, especially boxing in America. 
And um, the problem with uh, being a boxing champion, especially in the times uh, like, you know, like pre-Muhammad Ali champions of boxing, is that for some strange, there's this cruel fate in America where um, white supremacy figured that they'll just allow certain black successes to exist. And um, that happened in athletics. That happened in boxing. It happened in baseball with Jackie Robinson. It, it, it just, it happened. So yes, you can be a champion here, but you are, you are a slave in the rest of the world. So if you're crown king champion, you're like your champion realm is that ring. A boxer, a black boxer's home was not even, you know, uh, was not his castle. A black boxer can have a, a Ku Klux Klan white supremacist burning cross placed upon his yard, ready to burn his house down, and no one will bat a fucking eye. Why? Because we were considered niggas in society back then, as we are now, but white folks can, can be far more overt in regards to um, attempting to put us in our place by engaging in terroristic activities. Mm-hmm. Um, Muhammad Ali is the first black champion who is a king inside and outside the ring. So, it's something to consider, you know, and uh, he changed the game forever. He changed, Muhammad Ali changed the game for for celebrities. We expect celebrities to speak up against white supremacy against racism against institutional racism you know Beyonce she speaks up now um, got a few others I may not be able to think of uh, Jesse Williams that light skin uh, Justin Timberlake looking black dude you know oh, off yeah. of uh, that TV yeah. show off a couple of the Shonda Rhimes TV shows whatnot mm-hmm. he speaks up Great he's he's all about he's all in it and I, I, I wish he's got the ultimate success and um, hearing Muhammad Ali, he, he spoke the truth. He pointed out the fact that as a black celebrity, as a black rich person, it's almost like hush money. You know, um, they give you, you know, white folks don't run and own everything. They give you a little bit of money and it's, you know, it's a lot actually, you know, to you it's a lot, but it's a little bit of money and it's hush money, which is the reason yeah. why folks were shocked when Beyonce realized the fact that she let America know that she's aware of all these racial slights that black folks, you know, are, are receiving, you know, and a lot of folks don't want to, they want to think that it's almost, you know, you know, you're rich and nigga, you rich, you good. You know, you don't need to talk about this shit because this right here is hush money. You know, what's your, what's your thoughts, uh, Ray? I've been talking for a bit. Um, I think you're right. Whenever it came to Ali, he mentioned it regularly whenever he was, um, Speaking on people like Patterson and uh, Frazier, but Patterson, he even said um, that they don't take part in what's going on around them. They just shut up. They don't put everything on the line like I do. I put everything on the line and I'm willing to give it up because I know it's important. And these other Uncle Toms go out there and they, they shut up and then they go find them a white woman and then they just act like nothing ever happened. You know what? Um, in regards to interracial relationships, I have Johnny Silvercloud has no no issue with interracial relationships. I know that there's a sliding scale of uh, black empowerment folks 
who have a really a serious issue of interracial relationships. You know, I'm not that guy. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not that far into that. I guess I don't know. Um, but what I am concerned of is one where the money's going when you die, meaning yeah. that uh, the money. I mean, if you're a black person, if you're a black male messing with like say you know marrying a black a white woman it is it is pretty accurate to state that based on statistics black folks die well especially being males you die earlier than the women do so all your wealth will be thrown into the white family being that you die earlier you know this is something this is something to i'm not saying that you know um a black person should a black male should not you know, slam white chicks or whatever else may be. I mean, if you, if you want it, you go ahead and get it. You know, love love is out there for everybody, you know, real talk. Michael Jordan you know? ain't going to have no money. <laughs> well, he's that one money, chick. It's not good. <laughs> yes, Michael Jordan oh, just married him. <laughs> I didn't know that. And then he said, <laughs> we're not having any kids. And then within a couple months, she's pregnant with twins. Oh, so, wow. yes, Damn. Michael Jordan ain't going to have no money. I ain't know that man, but I should have assumed Michael Jordan. Uh, that should be a uh, yeah. It's, he's a topic in himself. Oh yes, yeah, by far. Um, <laughs> shit, uh, what we're talking about? Michael Jordan just killed it. Oh my gosh, he's always shooting. Patterson. How his take was on Patterson? A lot of guys just oh, running yeah. off and the white woman. Yeah, um, I know issue with uh, you know messing with white chicks. Well, like I say to my, my first concern, my second concern, and it is no order of importance, but just another concern is the the ideology of the house. Because one thing I noticed, especially with like you know racist ass white men messing with uh, black women, or uh, you know, and and the vice versa, is that the idea the ideology of the house being white supremacy blows my mind where uh, and from there the white supremacist the, the white white supremacist will sit there and say well I can't be racist because I have a black wife or I have a black husband mm-hmm. and they just really are and their black or white husband or wife their black spouse is just co-signing all this bullshit yeah the anti-black women me. stuff the anti-black yeah. male stuff they and, agree with all of it and, and then they're like it, what's okay? And part of it is like maybe somebody's dick game, the dick game or candy yam cake game is uh is on point, so they don't want to lose it and shit like that. You know, love is there. Um, I don't know if I talked about this in a previous previous podcast, but I talked about um, but I know of the, um this this principle of influence called the low ball tactic, where you knock you knock a leg, you know, you build these legs. Like you know, these reasons to exist to stay, then uh, the original you know reason is knocked down. Like say, oh, um, I'm an abusive guy, right? And you're the wife or the girlfriend, and I slap you, beat you up, mad abusive, and, um, and then I say, baby, you know, I'm going to stop abusing you. So then you have that one leg of this table that, that meets the floor, and that's that's the reason why you stay. Well, the table grows new legs, you know, you know, children, financial connections, um, you know, insecurity and things like that. Then if once the table has enough legs, enough new legs, I can knock that original leg right off 
going to abuse you again. And now you're going to stay because you have children, you're insecure, and for financial reasons, you have no friends and shit like that. So the lowball tactic exists, you know? Yeah. But I don't want to pivot too much off on that. Um, Muhammad Ali was seriously on point. He was beyond his time. Well, he came right on time. Right on time. And um, when I look at Muhammad Ali, I, I look at, I think about maybe there's a sorting algorithm of time in which you find the revolutionary black person, you know, the uh, autonomous uh, black person to, um, to take the helm of any given thing whatsoever. Like, say, for example, you have like the first black champion boxer, I think it was Jack Johnson. Got a white mm-hmm. wife, didn't say too much about shit. And all yeah. the other black champions ain't say too much about shit. You know? Um, then Muhammad Ali happens. And then everybody's like, holy, white, white America's like, holy shit. Oh, 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 God, this guy's so arrogant. Da 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 da. Like, like how they talk about Cam Newton, you know? Um, I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, when they have some self awareness, self love, self respect. Yeah, when, yeah, when um, I think it takes like maybe thirty to forty years before that real black revolutionary cat shows up. So, in regards to like, say, President Obama, who's by no means Muhammad Ali, he is not even close, not even close. It's gonna take thirty years down the line, or maybe more than that, before we find a, a true black president. Who's that Muhammad mm-hmm. Ali president? You know, President yeah. Obama, he's that Jack Johnson president. He's that or 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 he's that Floyd. He's he's more like that Floyd Patterson president. If you exactly. wanna ask me, he's more exactly. of that Floyd Patterson president mm-hmm. on all these excuses for white spoons that he be making. And but, you um, notice that um every time Ali was up there fighting black men, it was always the coon he was fighting. And they always went back and forth about their mindset versus his mindset and what makes you think you're right and what makes you think this and what makes you think do you think all of us are this way or all of you know the same old bs that they do now but once they got under his skin and then got him into that system as far as vietnam and then his refusal of that that's when all the, the shit hit the fan and everybody started withdrawing and taking all his his money playing with his money he even oh, yeah. threw his uh, gold medal into the river. What? I know All that. that. Yeah. That's the blown moves. Oh, That's yes. mad hate. Damn. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, like, you know, I mentioned in this podcast, I, I mentioned um, the sanctions and persecutions and all these control measures that white supremacy places upon black folks, black, black yeah. celebrities, as we'll call, we call we know them as today. Um, I call this Negro control, Negro Mm -hmm. control, you know, um, you need to have a couple of rich black folks to exist as far as control chaos, you know, so, so you can't say that all black folks are poor and all white folks are rich. You need to have poor white folks and, and, and rich white. Yeah. And, 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 and individually successful black people to exist, Mm -hmm. you know, but the black people can't say anything about about the reality in which black people live, you, exactly. you know, there's there's an effort to alter that one black person's reality so they don't talk about um, real shit, you know. 
So yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, let me talk about okay. You know, in the justice systems, you, in the justice system, you have a saying a saying that goes like, "You are to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth." You know, despite the mm-hmm. fact that uh, the justice system is quite flawed. Um, in America, you know, in American uh, on American soil, uh, this statement is a genius statement, and here's why: this statement covers all forms of a lie. The truth covers blatant lies. The whole truth covers lies of omission. When you leave out critical information to alter the outcome of knowledge, it's still a lie, a lie of omission. Don't let you, don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. The nothing but the truth part covers a lie built by adding nonsense smokescreen if you will to duck the question and logic in logical science this is called you know the red herring you know a debate fallacy needless to say um, this is the standard that I keep in regards to dealing with truth or deception when we we are totally demonizing the spies when we are amongst the living us black revolutionary types black abolitionists black truth speakers white supremacy only loves black revolutionaries when we're dead exactly i was just about to say that think about and this it's all quotes quote quote quotes but while they're alive then we can't be we ain't shit but yeah and now on top of that remember what i said about a live omission those quotes yeah. you know are, are taken out of context because you're, you're missing more 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 quotes um about this person's identity more quotes this person stated mm-hmm. so that's a live omission you know yeah. um which is what i cover which is why that phrase you know, you're to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. It's something that that I repeat, that I hold in my head, I hold dear, because um, it's so perfect. Yeah, yeah but um, white folks love fighting. You know, they love uh, they love us fighting blacks when we're dead. Yes. And it's easy to whitewash us when we are not amongst the living to speak against their lies, with exactly. their lies raining upon us like a northeastern snowstorm. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And so it's full of white lies. Like, they, they don't remember... They're going to remember Ali as the greatest, and they're going to claim the greatest, but they're not going to remember um, in 67 him refusing the uh, induction into the army because of his views on war and the five years of prison that they sentenced him to that he beat or the, uh, the fact that they took his title away just for simply doing that. And then they stopped giving him actual fights in his prime, and they pretty much tried to destroy him. And they're going to overlook all of that. And just remember, yeah, look like a butterfly. Yeah, they're going to sit there like, they're already saying this already. And um, another point I want to hit up is the fact that, um, and, uh, you know, Jesus Christ, a man of color from the, uh, we call, what I call West Asia, most folks know this is, is the Middle East. Or North yeah. Africa, um, Jesus died, and um, it's, it's, it's estimated he died 36 A.D. The Romans became Christian um, at, on the year of 330 A.D. So technically, it took 294 years for white supremacy to whitewash Jesus, mm-hmm. a man of color. They literally sent their police to fucking murder before yeah. they made him their own white hero. Yes, Martin like Luther Martin Luther King. King. Yeah, for Martin Luther King, they took roughly 30 years to whitewash. Exactly. Muhammad Ali, 10 hours. Oh, while, yes. While, while black mobility is, is, is in fact growing, so is white supremacy's ability to engage in psychological warfare, especially concerning sociological erasure. Yeah. 
faster What's your than thoughts ever. on that? What's your thoughts on that? Um, it's sickening, it's disgusting, but it is the reality that we're living. Every single thing that we have and everything that we are, they have and become because they have to say so over what's spread out there to the world, uh, the media. So they can make us all look like idiots. They can tell us, they can come up to me and say, hey, Ray, you're not Ray. This is Ray. And then point to a white girl with blonde hair and blue eyes who thinks <laughs> like me, who talks like me. And nobody, I can't prove anything because they'll be like, well, prove it. Prove it. Well, I have my ID. No, you don't. That's not void anymore. It's it's, it's already expired. It's this, it's that. This is her and her mom is your mom and this and that. They can just literally wipe everything out and then there's nothing we can do about it. That's why memory, the fact that we forget so much quicker is the scariest thing because so many people have so many different stories and then after a while it just becomes just a fairy tale and that's oh, why yeah. Martin Luther King is my number one person that I mention on a regular because he was not one of those as passive as people think oh it's yeah just by like, far Martin Luther King was he was a gun owner you know he owned guns he um yeah he's you know. Had to. He was, I mean, he was a pacifist, but he was my type of pacifist. He was a technical pacifist. And as a technical pacifist, um, yes, we're pacifists, but when you push, you push us in a corner, we're going to pass a fist. That's what, <laughs> that's what a technical pacifist is all about. Yeah, technically he is, but you push somebody in a the corner, they will engage in violence. They will pass a fist into that face. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, Martin Luther King, um, he he definitely, you know, he's one of the biggest examples of someone who gets whitewashed and made into a white hero. As a matter of fact, you know, I use, you know, Jesus in my example. You know, Jesus died for everyone's sins. You know, we know this. White people, if you are listening, if you're listening at all, Understand the fact that, you know, Martin Luther King did not die for your racist fucking sins. <laughs> he didn't die for your racist sins, you know. Um, the way I see it, what I'm seeing here with Martin Luther King is that you have this, you have this, this larger white conglomerate. Uh, they are trying to make it seem as if Martin Luther King died for their, their racist died for white supremacy the sin of white supremacy you know like um, there's no need to talk about slavery no need to talk about Jim Crow no need to talk about police brutality and all that stuff because this guy mm -hmm. died for those sins these sins are erased Martin exactly. King died for this he died for us white people what are you, why are you bringing this up Martin King existed he, he's, he's for all people he's all about colorblindness you know and it's like no actually he was not you know um uh, Muhammad Ali I mean let me run it back even further okay um, I had a podcast I think it was you know 16, 17, 18 episode whatever I talked about debating uh, and um, no I talked about intellectual aggressiveness and why I am intellectually aggressive which is something that a lot of folks pointed out in my um, character and um and I sat there and just assessed it like, wow, I think you guys are right. I'm very aggressive in, in regards to debating and stuff. I'm very intellectually aggressive. They say confrontational. Mm -hmm. um, I pointed out the fact that 
I kind of get it from battle rap. I get it from battle rappers because hip hop was my first passion before I became um, racially astute. You know, you know, I became you know really aware about diversity studies. Um, so as a as a guy who made beats and sometimes write. The battle rappers where my spirit was at. So, I'll, you know, you know, my, and back in the day, we had cannabis and all, you know, LL Cool J and all these hardcore cats is just, just flat out give it to you. And how they talk and how they spit is very in your face and it's very, you know, it's very methodical. And uh, we talk about, we will use metaphors to do, to practically inflict violence without inflicting violence. And, um, which which equals peace, you know, the person's not dead, I just killed them on a mic, you know, and I realized, looking at Muhammad Ali, and looking at, looking at how he influenced my life, the soul brother number one of a kind, you know, the candy yam, eating big and small booty technique, and, you know, um, we get it from him, we oh, get yeah. it from him, you know, battle rappers, we get it from him, um, The Rock, off of wrestling, you know, if you smell the rock is cooking, that he gets that from Muhammad Ali. He'll grab that microphone and talk all this stuff, say all these rhymes. Got it from Muhammad Ali. As a matter of fact, I I, met, I think that there's an interview that he pointed that out himself. Mm-hmm. There's two folks who, there's two people in the civil rights era that built rap music. One is James Brown. The other one is Muhammad Ali. What's yeah, your thoughts on that? I can you? see that. I think, um, especially with Ali, because he's so aggressive, but also goofy with it. Yeah. So it's kind of like when we're kids and sitting around talking about each other's mamas or just high-siding on each other. Playing a dozen, and then yeah. the first person offended loses. It's that type of stuff. And he did that so much with Frazier that they fought a couple times before the fight even went on. So that's what <laughs> I loved about him. Because he was calling. I guess he got mad because Frazier called him Cash's Place. And you told me your name was Cash's Place a few years ago. He's like, I never told you that was my name. My name is Muhammad Ali, and you will address me as that. And then he started talking about how he was an Uncle Tom just like Patterson. He said, another Floyd Patterson. Oh, Uncle Tom. Oh, Uncle Tom. And then he went off and started fighting him. And he said, hey, no. What's my F name? It. He kept on yeah. saying, what's my name in that match? You can see his mouth yeah. move while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and at the end of that, um, Frazier left because he got uptight during the interview. And afterwards, Muhammad Ali kept reassuring people, oh, we'll be all right. That's cool. We'll, he'll still be my brother. That, we're black men. We're black men. We ain't going to hate each other. That's my brother. And he kept on because they wanted that whole black on black type because they want to put black men against each other. And he kept assuring them, nope, that's still going to be my brother. That's still going to be, be cool. And he wasn't lying. Yeah. Um, I want to read a little bit from this one book called Soul and Ice, written by Eldridge Cleaver. Um, he has great commentary on, uh, on the fight between Muhammad Ali and Floyd Patterson. Because he existed while that took place. So, yeah, um... In his essays, is written in his book. Uh, the the, uh, the chapter is called "Lazarus Come Forth." Um, okay, I got this highlighted. The simplistic version of the fight, band, you know, bandied about in the press, was that there was a white hope and a black hope riding in this fight. The white hope for a Patterson victory was, in essence, a counter-revolutionary desire to force the Negro 
now in rebellion and person personified in the boxing world as Bayali, back into his place. The Black Hope, in the on the contrary, was to see Lazarus crushed, to see see Uncle Tom defeated, to be given the symbolic proof to the victory of the autonomous Negro over the subordinate Negro. The broad support for Muhammad Ali among Negroes had nothing to do with the black Muslims' racist ideology. You know, it's like Nation Islam, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Even the followers of the late beloved Malcolm X, many who who despised Muhammad Ali for the scurvy remarks he made about the fallen Malcolm, nevertheless favored him over Patterson as the lesser of the two evils because Ali was more in harmony with the furious psychic stance of the Negro today, while Patterson was an anachronism of light years, anachronism light years behind. In time of war, in the very center of the battle, the man of peace cannot command the ear of his people, and he loses ground to the man of war. The revolutionary rage in the black man's soul today, which boiled over and burned watch to the ground, means nothing if it doesn't mean business. And it was and it was focused in cold, deadly hatred and contempt upon Floyd Patterson and the bootlicking art of the puppet and the style of his image. I'm gonna start reading stuff from these books I got on my podcast. I need wow. I need to do that a whole lot more. Have all this information and not sharing it. How yeah, dare me that's a lot of hatred. And ugly words like that vernacular is quite spectacular. Everything about them was wrong and hateful and vengeful and bootlicking and this and that. Yeah, yeah, bootlicking. Like I, I use the term Scooby Snack eating, and uh, I think it was came it comes to be like an onyx truth term. You know, both me and Gil use Scooby Snack eating. You know, like uh, they, they did it for the fucking Scooby Snacks and. Um, I think I built this term off of this one picture I seen on the internet. I saw on Facebook with a bunch of white folks with Scooby-Doo characters. The black dude wearing like nothing but his underwear. Damn near naked. He's supposed to be Scooby-Doo. It was one of the most racist things I've ever seen. Bama's trying to be all playful and shit. So when I say a Scooby snack eating black dude, mm-hmm. it's that black dude that's going to be on his knees being the pets. The pets yeah. of white supremacy, and I use that term "pet." I don't use I don't use the term "house negro." I know of the history of house house negroes, in which they like yeah. many of which burned houses to the ground. Mm-hmm. They were not all bought in, so yeah. I don't use that term. I use "Scooby Snack eating motherfuckers." You know? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, and there is every there around. No matter what year it is, you're always going to have those. The confused as people or the people who are very comfortable in their cooning situation because they don't want anybody to put their eyes on them or their target on them. So there's always going to be those people out there that are just okay and content with getting shit on on a regular basis. And those are the black people that are always going to be put out in the limelight because they are doing what white people want them to do, which is overlook everything that they're doing to us or agree I, with everything I I kind of use because since Muhammad Ali is such a pivotal influential character in my life um, I look at 
And my favorite fight is the Floyd Patterson fight, the first one especially. Um, I look at black people in on this sliding scale of, you know, it's kind of like Matrix, blue pill or red pill. Um, mm-hmm. The red pill will be, you know, um, Muhammad Ali in this case, and the blue pill will be Floyd Patterson. And um, yeah, I think you know, I think there's, I think that's a good metric to do, to to um, judge black people on in regards to um, this fight, how they would respond to racism. Would they accept it, make excuses for it, or do they fight against it any which way they can? You know? Exactly. And uh, there's a lot of Floyd Pattersons out there, you know? And, and, and it's interesting because the Floyd, in boxing, Floyd Patterson is nothing but a boxer, uh, while Muhammad Ali is known far beyond boxing, as he stated. You know, he, he predicted that. Yeah, but when it comes to um, the social justice fight, it's a whole lot different. These uh, these Floyd Pattersons, and I'm gonna start using that term, Floyd. I'm gonna start using that. That's gonna be right there with Scooby Snack eating motherfuckers. Mm. Floyd Pattersons. These Floyd Pattersons, um, they they're rewarded for what they do. You know, it's the it's a path yeah. of least resistance, you know, and there's a lot of Floyd Pattersons out there who um, who think they want to sell the idea, sell the notion that it's hard to be a black conservative. It's not. It's not. It's not. I've pretended to be a black conservative at a Trump rally. It was super easy. I ain't had to say shit. I had to defend myself. Mm-hmm. I did. All I had to do is, is just, is you know, I had I built like a, a lot, like a, a lie. Like I supported Bush, but he got kicked out. So I'm all about Trump now and everything else, you know. And it's like all art, you know, well thought, and articulate and stuff like that. And Carson's also out. Like I supported these guys. And like only thing I to say is Trump is winning. I'm about winners, and and, and everybody bought that. No one questioned it. You know, like nah, dude, you're black in a Trump rally. You no, know, why are you really here? Was no, no one, no one questioned that shit. You know, it's easy to be a black conservative. Yeah, they know that a lot easy. of us are lost and confused and we don't have a lot of... We weren't really taught to um, research and question everything. We were just taught to go with the flow and that's why so many of us do that whenever somebody mentions the right lyric or the right drink or anything, outfit, purse, designers... We just go with it. We go with everything because we just need something to fit in with. We need somebody to accept us. And that's, unfortunately, it's screwing us over horribly. I think uh, the point you made right there, um, you talk about um, designer clothes and drinks. So, like, I think, um, like, being that we are a people that's robbed of our identity, our, um, our ethnic identity and stuff like that, our past, um, our names are not our own and stuff like that. Um, that kind of, it, it kind of, I can't really describe precisely how, but I think this feeds into why black people are, uh, uh, like in mass, at least, you know, in mainstream media, we are folks who exist in the now, you know, whereas, um, I never seen a, I never seen a white cat, you know, say, well, this song is old and it's like, you know, some, some white, you know, not, not, I mean, that's not to say call it white music, but. Mm-hmm. Some artist that that is not rap, like um, Alice in Chains or Nirvana. I never I never hear of a of a white person saying, 
man. Like, can you cut off this old shit? No, can you play some some new shit? Come on, get the fuck out of here. I never seen a white person do that, but yeah. a black person do that all the time. You play some Tribe Called Quest, some De La Soul, or uh, some Rakim, whatever, mm-hmm. or even some. <laughs> yeah, and, and they're like, what is this here? Play this new shit. I don't want to play this. Like, play some Drake. Play some Meek Mill. You know, fuck out of here. This like the designers, Drake and they're like history. Yeah, we don't respect the history that we make ourselves. We made that ourselves. These are our our folks. You know, uh, I remember one time I was um, I had this girl in my car, and she didn't recognize Jay Z. I was playing. I was playing Reasonable Doubt. This is back in uh, 2005, 2006. You know, she didn't know that that was Jay Z rapping. It was like, who is this? It's Jay Z. How you not? I mean, shit. You know, yeah. it's, just, it's, it's totally baffling. But yeah, I, I think there's definitely something to what you're, you're, you're talking about there and uh, how we don't really, you know, I think the fact that we are removed from our history and past and mm-hmm. then our, the history, the, the existing history we know of is painful. Yeah. Um, it kind of makes us not engage in, in having history pass at all. You know, mm. Snoop Dogg, he uh, he said something about this new Roots series taking place, saying that uh, you know, blah blah blah, you know, another slave movie or show or something like that. Yeah. And um, the problem I have with Snoop and his uh, talk on that is that I usually do not tackle or strike or, or confront black folks or most folks in general if they uh when they complain i think complaining is a basic right people mm-hmm. you know um i i may disagree but and i may voice my disagreement with a very sound argument but uh they're allowed you know i'm not gonna be angry with the person or i'm not gonna really slap their asses down yeah snoop on the other hand he has what a lot of black folks don't have a lot of the common folk don't have which is the reason why I give him free pass. He has resources. Mm-hmm. He has resources. He has the ability to to actually, if not direct, because that takes skill, he has the ability to produce. You need to throw his money down to support any other ventures and stuff. And uh, what's on what's on what's on on, on Snoop's uh, on his ticket? He done. He uh, produced porn videos and shit, literal porn. Oh yeah. He um, thank God he didn't star in it, but he he yeah. produced actual that. porn joints. He yeah. uh, you know, he starred in Soul Plane, which is one of the worst, he one of the worst Afro American movies in the world. We say he was like the P Diddy of porn. He just kind of stood around in there. I guess he wrote himself a check for it, probably. I would assume so. But yeah, I remember <laughs> that page. I didn't wonder remember that either that's like reminding me about Shaq's movies and rap cd or, or uh remind you of Shaq Fu which is yeah. if you're a video gamer that's oh, horrible yeah or, um or Shaq's rapping you know yeah that's <laughs> athletes the rapping that and that movie where he was like a genie oh yeah. that was horrible yeah but yeah See, though um I can understand where he's coming from because we're a lot of us are sick and tired of seeing just nothing but being the help or the slave or the mammy and just forgive and forget everything. And we don't have a lot of uh, 
movies of the reality of the situation, like during the Revolutionary War, all the black people in these movies are slaves, and it's not even the case whenever a lot of black folks are the reason why so many wins came as far as wars and battles and things like that. You don't even have to do the we was kings and queens type thing that white people like to tease us about. We was kings and shit. Like, you don't have to do that. But give us more than this. Give us more than the slave crap. It's, it's like gonna, I, it's gonna take more. It's gonna take research of black people to actually do that, and then on top of that, talent like you know Ryan Coogler style talent, and, you know, and um, and there's this book called Before the Mayflower, and I highly recommend this book for anyone who wishes to be a, a black abolitionist or a social justice type or whatever you want to call it. You know, I highly recommend this book, and this book is constantly updated. Like a like like a textbook or something like that. It's constantly update. I'm sure the new version may have some stuff on Obama on it and Bush. Mine's is like you know pre-Bush version, but it's, it pretty much documents American like Black Afro-American history, you know, before the Mayflower and then beyond. Oh yeah. And um, and in this, you know, if you get this book, you'll learn that there's been numerous upon numerous upon numerous upon numerous upon numerous upon numerous slave rebellions that took place that are that we don't really account like like people it was it was practically an ongoing war black people were yeah. not docile black folks like generally were not docile they were not exactly. just uh, just taking it no but there's tons and tons of, 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 of fighting and, and war you know yes. it's, it practically is like an ongoing war that's existed for hundreds of years in America yeah. and it still know? does we just don't fight back anymore it's just yeah. they don't want us to have any ideas, get any ideas of doing the same old things because once the psychological warfare sits in and, and you can pretty much sit back and just watch and just celebrate everybody's genocide on every holiday and then nobody's going to pay attention because it's just fun. Yeah. We get to wear our red, white, and blue or we get to eat turkey and, and just forget all about all the genocide that we're pretty much still dying over today. It's it's so sad, frustrating, and yeah. I uh, I just can't. Another another part of this book I, I have to read right quick. <laughs> I didn't highlight, so I kind of forgot it. Okay, essentially every black every black champion until Muhammad Ali has been a puppet manipulated by whites in his private life to control his public image. His role was to conceal the strings from which he was suspended so as to appear autonomous or self-motivated before the public. But with the coming of Muhammad Ali, the puppet master was left with a handful of strings to which his dancing doll was no longer attached. For every white man, feeling himself superior to every black man, it was a serious blow to his self-image. Because Muhammad Ali, by the very fact that he leads an autonomous private life cannot fulfill the psychological needs of whites what do you think about that right there that, that one paragraph I think it's beautiful it's true um, I have <laughs> there's an idea of black men being these unpredictable white women loving um, evil type crazy people and he was like absolutely none of that he didn't care about the white folks. He, he loved children. Children loved him. He wasn't a hothead. He just had his his vernacular up there to where he could say and do anything, and then other people would just feel like crap because he was right. 
and he showed people that what was white wasn't always right. They were still doing dirt and they needed to feel like it. And a lot of times I think he made people feel like that. And they tried to put it off on black men. That's why I don't even know of any genuinely good fights between him and white men because they were so busy, him and another black man. And that yeah. was like it. It was everything to them because they like seeing black men. They're chosen versus. Yeah. Um, another part of this uh, book here, I this chapter is so damn good. This is a uh, soul ice. If you love Mom and Ali, you need to at least check out this Lazarus Come Forth um, chapter in this book here. But uh, here we go. <laughs> I love this book. Uh, Muhammad Ali was the first free black champion ever to confront white America. In the context of boxing, he is a genuine revolutionary, the black Fidel Castro of boxing. To the mind of the white white America and the white black America, the heavyweight crown has fallen to enemy hands, usurped by a pretender to the throne. Muhammad Ali is conceived as occupying the heavyweight kingdom in the name of a dark alien power in much the same way as Castro is conceived as a temporary interloper of occupying, occupying Cuba. It made no difference that when Patterson announced that he would beat Ali and return the crown to America, Ali protested vigorously asking, what does he mean? I'm American too. That's like I try to imitate his voice. It didn't work. Anyway, <laughs> Floyd Patterson was the symbolic spearhead of the counter-revolutionary host leader of the mythological legions of faithful darkies who inhibit the white imagination whose assigned task it was to liberate the crown and restore it to its proper place in the free world. Muhammad Ali, in crushing the rabbit in 12, after punishing him at will so there would be no doubt so that the sports writers could not rob him of his victor on paper, inflicted a psychological chastisement upon white America similar to the shock value to Fidel Castro's at the Bay of Pigs. The Bay of Pigs can be seen as a straight right hand to the psychological jaw of white America. Then Las Vegas was a perfect left hook to the gut. What do you think about that one right there? Hmm. I think that book pretty much just explains the feelings that a lot of people were genuinely going through. They don't like yeah. um, recognizing black or brown or red. They don't like recognizing anyone as American, but the people who genuinely aren't American. It's um, the all-American, which they're calling themselves the Native Americans now, as the Europeans. And that's a blow to their ego, seeing that great fight in black men that can easily just take everything from them. I think it reminds them a little bit that if they put more and more black men together and had that same fight, then they'd be SOL. And I think it, it makes them a little antsy, scared yeah. of the inevitable or what. Like, what were you about to say? What could be what? It just it gives them that fear of that coulda, woulda, shoulda type fear like that anxiety of not having any control for a moment yeah there's another trend right here uh the heavyweight champion is a symbol of masculinity to the american male and a black champion as long as he is firmly fettered in his private private life is a fallen lion at every white man's feet 
Through a curious psychic mechanism, the puniest white man experiences himself as a giant killer, as a superman, a great white hunter leading a gigantic ape, the black champion tamed by the white man, around on a leash. But when the ape breaks free from the leash, beats with his deadly fist upon his massive chest, and starts talking to Boo, proclaiming himself to be the greatest, spouting poetry, annihilating every gun bearer and white hunter six on him the white hunter is not disposed of crawling to the ring himself a very serious slippage takes place in the white man's self-image because that by which he defined himself is no longer has a recognizable identity if that black ape is a man the white hunter asks himself then what am I Ooh. if that black ape is a man the, the white hunter asks himself then what am I <laughs> so nice everybody yeah Cleaver. Cleaver yeah um, I believe that Eldridge Cleaver's uh, assessment of white America in, in that time which is also an assessment of white America now yeah. is highly accurate oh yes you know I talk about this a lot um, he didn't have the, the same chops as I had to, uh, to, to point this out it's called negative identity you are defined, white people are defined by what they're not. They uh, they need an enemy, they need a rival, they need someone to despise and have disdain for, yeah. to pit themselves against, to say, I'm not that. You know, yeah. so so um, if we're animals, if we're, we're just mere animals, whatnot, we're inferior beings by, by way of being black, but we're really on equal footing. We're, we're, we're really men and women. We're really that good. We're that fucking good. Yes. You know, we can best them at their own games. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it hurts their identity. Of course. You know, we saw a bit of this when President Obama got elected, where uh, they're like, you know, want my country back. You know, they want their fucking president to be a white dude wearing a cowboy hat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Pretty much. But it's also on the the same notion that if we're people, what are they? Uh, it's. The same thing with the negative propaganda. Like, if we're not really the thugs, if we're not really the bad cop, bad guy, if we're not really the problem in America, then they have to be. It's got to be. And they want to keep on giving, throwing this lie out that we're the violent ones, we're the problem, we're destroying our own areas, our own neighborhoods, and this and that, whenever they want to overlook destroying our neighborhoods and putting us in crappy situations and doing this so that... They can sit there and blame the victim for everything they're going through and not see us as actual people. They want to see us as animals becoming animalistic in the the crab in the barrel situation. Yeah, um, I was playing this one video game, Destiny Online, on my PlayStation 4. And, um, you know, I was, I was playing with like, uh, one uh, black dude named Number, called Numbers and some other white dude that we just met, who's relatively cool, but, you know... He's white, so he doesn't know it all like that. Um, he mentioned something about a race card, and um, I pointed out that it's very interesting how that's used. And I point out the fact that you know someone says race card is used to shut a person of color up. And if you uh, you know, it is funny because first, rewind it back. When a white person invokes race, I'm a relatively exotic looking black dude. You know, I'm a, um, I look like I'm black and Asian. I'm black and native. 
if that matters. But anyway, folks, a lot of folks ask me, what, what, what is my make, you know? And I say it, and it's be a white person. And it's like, I'm not just black or I'm not just is, but I'm a black Asian looking dude. So they want to know. And when it comes to racism or race relations, when I begin speaking about how things are, how like the experiences that I suffer, that my people suffer, that I account for, um, they want to shut me up. At that point, I'm talking about the race card. I have the race card. I'm pulling the race card. And I'm like, how, how does that work? Because you just, it's, it's like you as a white person, you only want to talk about race on your, on your, uh, on your account versus me. You know what I mean? You only want to talk about it when you want to, but when I get, when I get to talk about it, uh, you know, I need to be shut up. Now, the, the thing I, the thing I laid down to that white dude was that I told him this. I told him this right here, and I, and I, I, I hope that you use this too, and and also the viewers, those candy game connoisseurs, and those keep theirs the newest. Um, when someone says something about a race card, I'm like, okay, you want to talk about race cards? You need to talk about who built the fucking deck. Mm-hmm. Mic drop. That's exactly. Mic. I need a. I have a thousand mics in here. I can't. Okay. Gun drop. Gun drop. There we go. How about that? This yeah. microphone drop. That's. Yeah. You know what? The broadcast folks. I, the I broadcasters say can't, that regularly. They can't. They can't. They can't see that. But yeah. Yeah. You want to like you want to talk about race cars? You got someone who built the deck, who built the game. Mm-hmm. Fuck out of here. Who dealt the cards? I know who the jokers are. That's for exactly. sure. Exactly. You know, I know who made, I know who wrote the, that one card you don't use with all those rules on it. Mm-hmm. You know, it has a coupon for more decks of cards and shit. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, though. Absolutely. Well, Hamid Ali was a total beast. I think one of the, one of the stains in Muhammad Ali's life, a lot of people like to talk about the draft, but that's not it. That's what white people want. That, that that was a construct. White folks, const- white supremacy constructed that for him. Oh, of course. You know, yeah, that's a construct. It's not that because mm-hmm. um, he actually beat the uh, he beat it's, the case yes. as well. But one of his biggest uh, one of his biggest flaws was his judgment of Malcolm X when uh, Malcolm um, he split from the Nation of Islam. So yeah. So Muhammad Ali continued to be a part of Nation of Islam, while Malcolm X decided not to, you know, to, to split from it and stuff. And um, yeah, that 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 friendship falling apart and why that really, uh, I think that was, that was one of uh, Muhammad Ali's greatest failures, if not his most greatest failure. And honestly, he um, he accounts for that too, and he's apologized and reflected on it. And he, he, he knew he, he messed up there. Yeah, I he think that was could've... more personal than anything because of how close they were. Probably felt like he was abandoned. So yeah. I can understand that on the um, the friendship level and the family level and all that. And I know after, um, with the army issue and them trying to dog out Ali, I know it probably got more tense for everybody because that's what they were doing with everyone. Like the... Um, the army even measured his IQ at 78, like to say, "Hey, look, everybody, he's an idiot. So don't listen to anything he says. He's, he's not smart enough to be listening." And he he just wow. said, "I only the greatest, not the smartest." And that's all he said. He didn't even bother arguing with it. Like I can't see 78. No, that doesn't even 
again. Or maybe, maybe, maybe he, he might have actually done that on purpose. Uh, you know, like some people actually do try to uh, flunk the ASVAB test. Mm-hmm. So he might have done that on purpose. And then they say, you know, because he wasn't interested in it and joining. And then uh, then they say, look, he's an idiot because he got this score. Yeah. You know, which is really not the case. I know, yeah. I know a dude who got, you know, as far as the military goes, in the Army, you have a PT test. And, you know, 60 is passing and above 60% is better, you know. And you want to get as three, there's three events in the Army physical fitness test. Um, and, yeah, so you, you want to get three, 300 points, you know, get 100 all the way across. I knew this yeah. one dude who was like a muscle-bound, karate expert-looking dude in my unit when I was in the military. And he got a 60, he got 60s all the way across because he just wanted to, he, he didn't want the, uh, the test to actually be a thing that identifies him or something like that. Like, it was, it was almost like a, a protest within, within itself, you know, just getting 60s all the way across despite the fact he's fully capable of doing numerous push-ups, numerous sit-ups, numerous, and running really fast. You know, a lot of it's kind of like that. that. They would just do the bare minimum and be like, okay, they'll do their 16-foot sit-ups and then be like, okay, I'm good. And then they'll just let the time run out and be like, nope, I'm good. Yeah, I despite the fact they're they're fully capable of going beyond that. Yes. So, that's yeah, how I think, a lot of people are in the real world also. Yeah. I think that's another thing to to compare like Patterson and Ali. Because Patterson wanted to do the bare minimum. He just wanted to do his job, be seen, make his money, and then be done with it not step yeah. into any deep waters. Yeah, Patterson, he got his ass with that first fight with Muhammad Ali. Man, after 30 minutes, Muhammad Ali really began to dig in guts. And it's like, you see Patterson wobbling, like when he hit the bell, ding, mm-hmm. Patterson is all wobbling back to the to the corner. Man, he got demolished. Holy shit. Oh, yes. Yeah. I think I watched really. a couple today, too. And a couple of well, mine was always the Thrilla and Manila, you know, with their... Because I just like seeing them go back and forth, them too. Even their daughters. Years later. Oh, yeah. That oh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, to be living one that when, that when the daughters' fight took place, you know. Oh, yeah, and 01. Of course. I mean, it was a big age difference, but I don't think most of us were really parenting much. But, uh... Layla was 23 and Jacqueline Frazier was 39. That was a huge difference. But Yeah. Hey, she shouldn't have accepted the fight. I mean... But what? No, I, it was still even. <laughs> so, can't really say too much. Yeah. She did it, though. Yes. I think they accepted it because they know how huge it was going to be for their, their dads. Yeah, it's kind of like a... In the Rocky movies, you know. Oh yeah. Like uh, there's, I really love this movie. It's called Creed, and um, you know, it's like you know, hey, this guy has his name. We can make more, so much more money off of this because he's a Creed. Yeah. Same deal. Of course, of course. But that was such an epic thing with uh, Frazier and Ali that it was just beautiful. I guess that their daughters were also professional fighters and could pick up where they left off so I think that really was just the most epic thing about it yeah you must live on forever yeah I, I wish that 
And for if, if folks really want to remember uh, Muhammad Ali, I think that we all should begin speaking out against racism and uh, white supremacy as it exists. You know, all these injustices that exist. Mm-hmm. We need to begin doing that. Like our celebrities need to begin doing that. Oh, you know, yeah. We have a few. Beyonce makes a couple songs that have really charged. I haven't heard her actually speak. I have, yeah, but, I was about to say the same thing. I haven't really heard her actually go there with the pro-blackness enough to actually, you know, even listen to the songs, to tell you the truth. They're not my, I mean, I don't listen to her. I'm not a fan, but yeah. it definitely got my attention, the uh, Super Bowl performance, but it didn't get my attention to do put my hopes up or assume anything. Like that she's, like, assume that she's all in, you know? Yeah. Because if it doesn't pay, then I don't think she's going to really... You know, you got to keep doing what you do, and a lot of times losing any money or stamina, and that's a lot of issue with uh, Nina Simone. She was doing a lot of performances and out there, and then once she started getting too pro-black, she stopped she stopped performing in the biggest halls and she didn't get invited to the shows like Aretha Franklin and them. Like, it really destroyed her her career. And Ali, it didn't destroy his because of the fact that it was him on stage fighting people who thought completely different. And it wasn't something that Nina Simone had a chance to actually do. So sometimes it can make or break you. And I think that a lot of people in Hollywood know that because you will lose out on movies and and a lot of stuff just because white people don't want to see no pro-blackness. Or they or, or they want to punish you. Yeah. They want to punish the pro-black person, which is pretty jacked up. Yeah. Like, this is America. You need to get over this crap. This is America. But you don't see it as America. It doesn't matter. This is still America. You need to do what keep everybody calm yeah docile mm-hmm. relaxed you know it's like there's it's, it's, it's like that treats just throwing them in the mouths of the people who just say whatever they white people say what about black on black crime oh here's it's like boy. it's like white people was like Bill Cosby and, and black people was like that chick that he's drugging and yeah. raping and shit yeah I need you silent drink this with this take these pills or whatever and yeah. oh, we're knocked out ah. mm-hmm. and they just like fucks up the blood each time oh yeah yeah it's uh it's rough so um let's bring this show to a close we um yeah so you have anything to add um Rachel um I don't think so. I think just that he is the greatest, and he always will, be, at least in my eyes, because I don't know if we'll ever come across another boxer that has that mouthpiece and that toothpiece at the same time. <laughs> that mouthpiece and that toothpiece. Because nowadays, everybody's all about their money. Yeah. They just want people to feel bad because they don't have the money that they have. They don't want people to feel good about themselves and say, we got your back. You got it. We're okay. We're going to be better. They don't we don't function like we used to before the integration and everything. We're not, we're all a man of our, our own. So it goes, you know, he's fantastic. That's all I can say about him. Yeah. Um, I'll say that I was deeply hurt by this loss. I mean, 
Mm-hmm. You know, my my, uh, my partner Gil, he um, he was deeply, you know, which we call the light skinned superhero. On Onyx Truth, uh, he was deeply hurt with uh, Prince Prince um, dying, passing, and um, I love Prince, but he's not. He but as a, I'm not since I'm not a light skinned dude, I'm a mid complexion black dude. I never really. Um, I don't. I don't have the same, you know, identity attached to Prince as my light skinned friend does. Whereas, um, I never thought about that. <laughs> whereas myself, like you know, you know, with me always rhyming my my intros and you know the uh, l- somewhat larger than life identity and all this other stuff. Um, Mom, not Lee was definitely that was my guy. Oh, yeah. You know the the mid complexion black guy who had the the gift of gab, the silver tongue, the skills, hyper confrontational, mm-hmm. you know, intellectually aggressive. That's that was my guy. Yes. Both of these guys died in the same year. Painful. Very. But yeah. Um, I like to believe they're both going to a better place. Well. You know, Muhammad Ali definitely. Uh, He's definitely earned it on this on this planet. Yeah. yeah. So ultimately, what were you about to say? I would love to believe he's in a better place just from not being around these assholes anymore. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's, that's somewhat of a win, not to have to deal with that crap anymore. To watch it still going on and everybody else, I'm oblivious to it. Yeah. Yeah. So. uh I'll say, I'll, I'll tell people to, I'll try to tell folks, that, you know, hey, um, I have a message, you know, if you want to really remember and honor Muhammad Ali, speak up, no matter what your station is, poor, broke, common, uncommon, rich, famous, celebrity, you need to speak up, because he was like him speaking from the, his station as as the most famous person alive and during his time was the reason why change happened imagine if Will Smith actually engaged in the same logic that the Jesse Williams dude does mm-hmm. or something like that you know what I mean yeah. it's like come on now yeah exactly anyway, you know, and it's not like well, we're asking white folks to do shit. No, this is us. We need to quit BSing, quit yep. bullshitting, and actually make things happen. Real talk. Quit ignoring what's taking, what's happening to others. Just because your child is not being shot on the street does not mean that you should shut up and not say anything about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it shouldn't take your child being shot to talk. It shouldn't. Exactly. <clears throat> That Emmett Till's sure. mom learned that way. Exactly. She, that. she thought it was just a southern thing or this area or this neighborhood. And then when it was her child, she, it brought them more together. She really didn't think it could happen to her kid, even back then at that time. It could happen to any one of our children. And they're all being ignored and blamed for their own death. Yeah. Something's got to give. Absolutely. It ain't gonna be us. We gave enough already. I know. I keep my mouth open, and I'll tell anybody. You want to be calling me black and bitter, whatever. Well, 
This berry comes with bitterness because of our history and we have a damn good reason. So you sit here and deal with it and get up out my face because I'm not going to shut up. <laughs> I don't have a food analogy to use. Um, that was a pretty good one, though. <laughs> yeah, though. All right. So um, for those who are watching or listening to this, um, keep in mind that you can call in on a... Uh, the Soul Brother and One of a Kind podcast, and perhaps have your voice featured on the show. Um, the number is 202-854-1996. That's 202-854-1996. So that's, uh, we got Rachel, we got Rachel, Rachel here. We have uh, Johnny Silvercloud here, and we're signing out. Peace. Peace.